Welcome to this morning to HBF. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm a pastor here. I just wanted to uh, kick you off this morning. Thank you for being here on Spring Forward Sunday. I know a lot of folks are probably uh, kind of still an hour behind, but uh, we've been in the Word of God and, and working through the book of Acts, and this morning we'll be in Acts chapter 23. And uh, if you're joining us live on Facebook, we're glad that you're with us, and, and we hope to see you here at HBF soon. Uh, and so our subject matter in the book of Acts has been uh, triumph over troubles. We've been going through and looking at the book of Acts. We've been looking at the DNA of our local New Testament church, literally what are our roots, and we find those in the book of Acts. And uh, we've been following particularly now the life of Paul as he transitions into uh, really his journey from Jerusalem uh, to Rome. And uh, we're still in the portion of text in Acts chapter 23 where he's uh, in Rome, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit as we talk about the need to to triumph over truth and how really Paul sets an ex- or triumph over truth, triumph over trouble, forgive me, triumph over trouble, and Paul sets an example of that uh, by obeying the truth, by allowing the truth to work through him, the Word of God. And so this morning, before we get into the text, I wanted to just invite Dale Newkirk up. He has a, a testimony he would like to share uh, regarding some things that God has done in his life, and this will make a good segue into the, the text this morning as we get to it. So Dale, if you can come up, brother. And just share with us what God's doing in your life. That'd be awesome. Thanks, brother. You're welcome, brother. Appreciate you. Well, good morning. So for those of you that uh, know me, some might call me uh, a man of many words, and some people might call me a man of few words, depending on the subject. But uh, Brian, Pastor Brian uh, graciously asked me to be a man of few words this morning, so I'll try to make this as short as possible. But, uh, you know... In, in the things that we do, oftentimes in our daily lives, we, uh, we run into trouble, right? So um, our, our business has been expanding, and recently we bought a piece of property, and um, we, gave a, we gave a lot of money for it based on the fact that we thought that there was this building site all ready to go. And long story short was, <laughs> when we drove a dozer out on it, it sunk four feet, we realized that we didn't have a place that was ready to build on. So at $155 an hour for a dozer, I'm seeing these dollar signs, you know, clicking. And at that point in time, I was just really, I was just really depressed, frankly. You know, uh, we've all got a budget for the things that we do. I've got a number you know, and probably going to be thirty, forty thousand dollars to fix this problem. At about that same time, one of my employees called me and was stuck, got at a scale house over in eastern side of Missouri, overweight by six thousand pounds. <clears throat> so, being overweight by six thousand pounds is almost like getting caught driving down the interstate at one hundred and forty. They don't just let you go. So I asked, I told the driver, I asked the guy, I said, just tell me what it's going to cost. We had carpet on the back. It isn't like you can just pick up a 2,000-pound roll of 15-foot-long carpet and move it. It's just not that easy. You know, I guess whatever it costs, just tell me what the fine is, but, but, but let us go, you know. And he said, well, we're not letting you go. That's what he told the driver four times. 
my fleshly side, being the owner, is run to the computer, <clears throat> start making phone calls. I got to figure something out. And it was the craziest thing because it was almost like God put me in this complete, it was almost like I didn't get that call. And so I went back to what I was doing. And about an hour and a half later, I, I realized, oh, my gosh, I've got a guy that's been waiting on me over here for an hour and a half. And I'll bet it wasn't 30 seconds my phone rang, and the only thing this guy told me was he let me go. And I said, uh, what? He let me go. No, that's, this isn't even funny. No, really, he let me go. I got to tell you, I was so moved by those words that I wept because in that instance, I realized that no matter how impossible something seems, no matter how it looks from our side of eternity, the God that created us that sent his son to the cross for us, loves us. We're important. Whatever it is that you're going through, don't ever feel like you're not important or that God has forgotten you because I can assure you he hasn't. You know, my wife and I and I have been praying for the last three weeks diligently that we would find favor in the eyes of our enemies. Find favor in the eyes of our enemies. This guy comes out, I find out later, comes out, asks my driver, says, how long you been working there? He said, well, I've been working here for three weeks and I probably won't have a job when I get back. And uh, he said, and today, it just happens it was his birthday. And he said, and today's your birthday. Yep, I'm 64. He said, well, I'm not going to write you a ticket. You're not going to write me a ticket? No. As a matter of fact, I just want you to know my shift is over at 3.30. The second shift guys come on, and their shift's over at 11.30. You do with that information whatever you want. When he walked back in the building, my guy left before he changed his mind. So... It, and, you know, God is just so good because my phone gives me these uh, verses, you know, for the day. This is what I got out in the sanctuary there, out in the lobby there just a minute ago. First Peter chapter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are, upon, are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God is so good. You know, when all this went down, I told, I told the Lord, I said, I'm going to glorify you in what you've done today. And uh, anyway, God is good. Amen? All the time. Appreciate that. It's good to have testimonies. Just a few weeks ago, you heard testimonies and, and, and talked. To, we saw, we've seen uh, triumph over trouble, and we, we saw how 
you know, Pastor Randy preached on the comfort of God, and then, and then, uh, and then our sister Franny got up and talked about the joy, right, in the midst of cancer, and, and there she is, amen. And, uh, and then Bessie's here this morning, she just last Sunday walked out of here having a massive heart attack and has had stents put in, and was it, now she's back, can't keep her down, you know, amen, praise the Lord, so, amen. And we, we like to see triumph over trouble. Uh, we like to, but you know, the truth is, isn't it? Sometimes the stories don't end the way we like them to end. And we experience the grief and the pain and the hurt and the difficulty. And so, uh, praise God that in all of those things, God is faithful. And he's always there with us. And the, tru- the truth is, we do triumph. We have victory over the grave, and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you really, you need to know him, because the biggest trouble that anyone faces is death, and the only way to have hope of eternal life is through the Lord Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his death, burial, and his resurrection. I'm so thankful uh, for the hope that we have in Christ and the gospel. The good news is, that's what it means, is gospel, or good news is, that's what gospel means, is good news, and so it's such a, it's such an incredible thing to have the good news. Uh, because there's really nothing in life that we're going to face, although at times, right, it's really intense, like Dale was explaining. Uh, I'm sure last week as you were flying down to research hospital, that's intense. You know, there's some things going on in our lives that are intense, but you know what? We're more than conquerors. And so last week in our Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, grab one from the seat rack in front of you. You can turn to page 1,489 if you don't have one, and grab one of those in the seat rack. But we talked about how we, we have verses that God has given us. Romans eight thirty seven is one of those verses that we, we often quote. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, right? Because of him that loved us, because of Christ. And uh, when we're estranged from God, you don't sense that love. Even though God loved us before we were even born, God's loved us. He loves us unconditionally. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. It's really not a question of God's love for us. It's a question of our love for God. And, uh, and when we love God, we keep his commandments, starting with the gospel, right? To, to humble our hearts and receive the gift of eternal life. But 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph. I like that word, triumph. You, just, you, just, you can just imagine someone just you know, winning uh, something, you know, whether it's a, it's a, it's a match or a, some sort of sporting event, but it's a triumphal victory, right? And so he always causes us to triumph in Christ uh, and maketh manifest the savor of the knowledge of his knowledge by us in every place. And so part of the triumph is what you just saw right now. Um, You know, Dale's like, man, God has come through for me in such a way at such a time that I needed it. You know, our brother was overwhelmed. It was just more than he could bear. And God came through so he could get up and share with all of us that his God came through, our God came through for him, and we celebrate that, and we are excited. Bessie was doing the same thing all week. God came through, and you know we hear testimonies how God comes through, and we praise God for those things. That's what we want to hear, and that's what we want to see, and we want to experience. And that's what we're looking at as well with, with Paul, as he's definitely dealing with trouble, but God is coming through. And so in this passage, we see the literal encouragement uh, of the Lord in the life of the Apostle Paul, as he endeavors to make peace with those that Jesus died to save. So this this uh, encourage this is encouraging to those listening um, again from around the world because we have brothers and sisters this morning 
around the world, some of them that actually are watching what's going on here, they draw encouragement from us. Why? Because, well, they live in circumstances that are troublesome, right? They, they don't have the same freedom, liberty, assurance of safety for their families, perhaps, uh, or the, the liberty to preach the gospel like we have. And so we want to encourage them in that. And, and, and uh, you know, it's one of the things that <clears throat> I've, I've uh, learned is that people living in persecution, they enjoy our liberty, like kind of vicariously. They enjoy our victory. So you don't have to feel like, uh, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for them or feel like guilty is the right word I'm looking for. You don't need to feel guilty in what God has given you. You need to, you need to embrace it and go, and go hard for Jesus because that's what, we're, that's what the folks that are rooting for. And, uh, and it's so encouraging because we all have a part. and We draw encouragement from one another and from the blessings that God bestows in different ways. So it's instructional here. Uh, as we look at Acts chapter 23, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11 this week. And I'm going to pick up, we really only got into verse 1 last week, so I'm going to really be working verses 2 through 11 this morning. Amy, could you hand me my, I left my spectacles down there. So, uh, I just, yeah, I don't need the whole thing. Let me just take these. If I was really sharp, I wouldn't do this. I'd have this ready to go, so forgive me. Um, but I'm not really sharp, so praise God. So, Acts chapter 23 and uh, verse 1, the Bible says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the counsel, said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this day, until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces, of them commanded the soldiers to go down to take him by force from among them and bring him into the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the testimony that we have just heard from our brother. We're thankful for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. We're thankful for the testimony of millions of uh, our, our fellow brethren, countless thousands that are in situations very similar to what Paul is facing today, uh, Lord, that are in, uh, in peril of life and in dangerous situations as they witness. And Lord, we have this great liberty to take the gospel everywhere that we would, Lord, to the schools, to the, the job places, to our neighbors and our neighborhoods, Lord, and we're thankful for this liberty. Uh, literally to the world as we prepare for trips to go around the world and share Christ. And so, Father, we're so thankful 
Father, for what you blessed us with. We pray a, a reading, a blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word. We're thankful for delivering your saints, Lord, from every trouble through the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Even death is conquered and has no more sting. We praise you this morning and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isn't it good to be saved? Amen. amen. I mean, that's why we're here. You got up an extra hour, right? So amen. So praise God. So what I want to do this morning is just kind of review what we talked about a little bit. Last week we started talking about how Paul displays the goodness and grace of God as he witnessed sincerely. And we spoke last week about how sincere he was in his witness. And then we're going to talk about how he withstood satanic assault and then was supernaturally sustained by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So just a way of review. Let's just review what we saw last week. First of all, Paul, um, he witnessed sincerely. He was careful with his personal information. You might remember I talked about that last week. So Paul basically progressively revealed himself as needed to accomplish the mission. He didn't just come right out as he was taken in the tumult down at the temple and just tell everybody, hey, I'm a Roman, and I'm a Roman that speaks Greek, and I'm, I'm well-educated, and I come from Tarsus, and I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he doesn't just give him all that information. He just, as needed, he uses pieces of his testimony, and he puts himself out in a way that God can use that to get him where he needs to go. And, and we talked about how vital that is and, and really and wise that is in, in the way that we witness to people. You don't always just come right out and tell them everything, right? You really need to listen and just tell them what they want to know so that you can continue to share the gospel, right? Because uh, a, pe- a lot of people, uh, like I mentioned, if they find I'm a pastor, it closes the door. So I'll just talk to them. I go to Heartland. I'm not lying, but I'll just talk to them, right, and just share and just see what where this conversation can go. Other people... Uh, being a pastor, maybe that is helpful. So I may just share that right up front, right? So you just use the information that God wants you to use, right? Maybe for men, obviously, we always like our vocations. We talk about our vocations. Sometimes that's important to tell people. Sometimes maybe you don't want to tell somebody. You Maybe you do want to tell them about your educational background. Maybe you're talking to somebody and you don't really want to tell them about your educational background. So so on and so forth. So we learned that Paul was very wise and he like the, the Lord Jesus Christ himself progressively revealed who he was through the Bible, Paul kind of progressively revealed himself as he was working through this difficult situation. Paul learned how to, to, to uh, use his identity to the max. And then we saw that Paul took every opportunity to witness sincerely. He didn't miss an opportunity. And probably that's where I would, I think I would probably fail here if God was checking a grade card. You know, Brian, do you, do you utilize every opportunity? Paul was, he was making sure he hit every opportunity. And so that's something we could, from last week, we can think about. Have we, this week, have we taken advantage of every opportunity to share Christ? You know, one of the things I like to do at a restaurant oftentimes is, is just say, hey, when the waitress is coming by, hey, I'm getting ready to pray. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And, see, and just see, just like fishing, is that going to open a door? Is that going to allow me to share the gospel? We need to use every opportunity. I like James's testimony is great up here. You know, he's, he's doing his job, but obviously he's looking for every opportunity to share the gospel, to build relationships beyond what he's doing. I mean, his employer may not like that. I don't know, but I mean, it's working for Jesus, so praise God, and it's encouraging. So make sure we do that. We saw that Paul did that, and in the process, we saw that Paul, he spoke calmly. Um, he, was, he was polite when he spoke, right? He was in this sincerity he, he was calm, he was temperate, he, he spoke politely. Uh, he was also very personal when he said, uh, hey, men and brethren, 
So he didn't, he, it wasn't an us or them type of thing. He found a way to identify with them as he spoke to them calmly, politely, and personally. Right? He wanted them to know that he was, he was wanting to talk to them. This was an audience that, that he was happy. He was glad the, uh, that his, uh, his captors arranged this because they wanted to mitigate the problem. All of a sudden, remember, they found that Paul's this Roman citizen. They bound him illegally. Uh, they were getting ready to examine him by scourging, you know, and uh, get out of him whatever they wanted. And, of course, they paused on that, and they brought him in. And, 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 and so the, the chief captain's like, hey, let's get everybody together and, you know, let this, this uh, party get started because he's wanting to gather information, right? If he's holding this guy, he has to have a good reason because he's a Roman, right? And he's, I'm sure what he's hoping is that, these guys, these Jews, can resolve this problem. I can wipe my hands of it, and I go back to work because I don't want to have anything to do with this. So he's kind of, the chief, the, the chief captain is like hoping he can resolve this. He can get it off of his plate and get rid of it because he really doesn't want to deal with this Roman that's in his custody. But the Jews, that's exactly where they want him, right? That's, what they wanted, that's where they wanted Jesus. Uh, they wanted to see Jesus executed under the custody of the Romans. So if they can do that for him, they'd be happy. So Paul, in spite of all of those scenarios, I mentioned that because in spite of the, the nasty atmosphere, you know, sometimes people are just nasty, right? But you know what? Paul wasn't nasty. He was gracious and kind. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm just going to be calm. I'm going to be polite. I'm going to be personal. And, and then he speaks spiritually, which you think would be helpful. I have lived in good conscience before God until this day. And man, he, he no sooner gets those words out of his mouth. And it says in verse 2, And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Hit him in the mouth. Punch him in the mouth. Smite him on the mouth. How dare he say that he's in good conscience? How, say, how dare this man say he's right with God? And of course... Um, that wasn't easy to deal with. And so last week we ended the, the message just talking about how Paul, uh, it really wasn't Paul that was in danger of being condemned at this point. It was actually Ananias. And, uh, and that's where I want to pick this up. And we mentioned John chapter 3, verses 18, right? He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Right, Paul hasn't done anything wrong. The accusations that were leveled against him that he had brought Gentiles into the into the temple was not true. He didn't bring Gentiles into the temple, uh, so that was a false accusation. This whole tumult was based on allegations that weren't even true. Uh, he was being, you know, in this meeting, uh, someone was questioning his spiritual um, temperament and and smiting him on the mouth. Because he dares say that he was right with God. And in essence, being in God's stead, judging him. It's a dangerous place to be. And so we find ourselves in, in uh, the second point of study uh, this morning. So Paul has, it looks like he's in the midst of trouble, by the way, when you look at this. He's still in it. it you know, it's like kind of where, where Dale was, right? When he finds out his, his property's not what he thought it was, and he's got this thing. I mean, he's in the midst of it. And it's, 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 a, it's a perplexing situation. I think we can all say we've been there. Man, haven't you ever offered up those prayers just like, oh, Lord, help? Man, I have. I've, I've more than once. 
I was just this week recounting in uh, the times I've sat in my office. There's just been several moments through the life of this church where I've sat in my office, looked out the window, and offered up Hail Mary prayers. <laughs> and then God just comes through. It's amazing. Rather, it was, you know, how are we going to, Lord, we, we don't have enough money, you know, whatever it is, and bam, somebody comes through. And there's just several times God's done that. I remember the, my daughter, I walked out on the porch one day and said, Lord, we need, my son needs a sibling. And man, it was like, boom, someone's on the phone. I mean, God does that stuff. And uh, some of that wasn't trouble so much, but you know, I mean, God does care. He is personal. And, and you do live your life in light of him, right? Our conscience. That's what Paul's saying. At the end of the day, I'm living my life before a holy God, and I, I just want to have a good conscience before God and in the sight of men. I'm, I'm trying to do the best that I can, right? I'm just doing what God told me to do. That's what he's trying to tell his, his brethren. And again, he counts them as brethren. He's not saying, you know, I don't care about you guys. You're the enemies of God. Not at all. As a matter of fact, his heart's desire and prayers we saw in Romans 10, which has already been written, sent off at the hands of Phoebe to Rome, and it's already inscripturated. God's word's already settled. So now it's settled for the record for eternity. Paul's heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. That is exactly God's heart and desire for Israel, that they might be saved. The fact that Paul is standing there giving them one more opportunity is not even necessary in God's economy. God's already told them it's over. It's just more grace and goodness. You know, sometimes when I got saved, I, I don't know about y'all, when I got saved, I, that's how I felt when I heard the gospel. The last time I heard it before I received it. It was like, man, God, I recognize now at this point in my life, you are not obligated to give me the gospel one more time. And I was fearful. I was. And don't get, and man, don't dissect my testimony. This is my testimony, not yours. So, <clears throat> so I'm serious. I get, I guess it irritates me when people are like, well, what about, this isn't a theological, I'm just saying this is what was going on in my heart. When I, got, when I was ready to get saved, I knew this was it. At least that's how I felt in my heart. The Holy Ghost had convicted me. And I felt like if I did not get saved now, I probably ain't going to get saved. I don't know. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to experience that tension when you get saved. I did. And, uh, man, I tell you what, Israel, the fact that they have the Apostle Paul, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, standing before them, giving them one more opportunity to hear about Jesus. Whew! What an opportunity this was. Because God's already moved on to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Paul's out preaching in the other most parts of the earth. And the Gentile churches are raging at this point. In a good way. So spiritual persistence does bring satanic resistance. Paul did everything right. I want you to see that. Now, we can debate on whether he should have went and all that, but once he got there, he did everything right. Going all the way back to, 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 you know, embracing what happened. You know, he gets there with this gift, and they're like, great, thanks for the money, but now we need you to do this because the real problem is you being here, <laughs> and nobody likes you, Paul. And so uh, they don't like what you're doing with the Gentiles. So Paul did everything right. I mean, he, he bought the sacrifices. He took the, the, the men that were, were friendly to the, the Jewish men to the temple. They did everything properly uh, to, to show he was sincere. And even at this meeting, as he gets up to speak, that first sentence out of his mouth is sincere. His introduction is sincere. He's, he's really serious about what he's trying to accomplish. But spiritual persistence brings satanic resistance. So Paul did it right, but he was wise. He was sincere. He was earnest. He was obedient. 
and he got smote in the mouth. Some of you got caught on that question last week. You do everything right. It's all good, right? Well, it is all good, but Paul still got smote in the mouth. Sometimes that's ha- that happens. Welcome to being like Christ. Now, that's the difference between D1 and D2. <laughs> right? So, and I'm kind of making jest of that. But the reality is, as, as Christians, we have to mature to that place where we can, you know, we can really absorb. Paul's at a place where he's struggling even now to absorb that. We're going to unpack that here right now. Let's see how Paul handled this confrontation with, and I want you to, I want to be clear, this is the forces of darkness. This is a key point, a spiritual battles going on. This isn't just a random situation where Paul shows up and this is just, this is God's kingdom being worked out. And again, there were Jews rejecting their Messiah one more time. At now, the, the feet of the Apostle Paul. So, how do we withstand satanic assault? I think there's some things here that are instructional. In verse 2, let's just again look at what happens. It says, And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. And then verse 3 says, Then said Paul unto, unto him, and then he, he quotes God. I mean, he's not playing here. Paul is not mincing words, and he's not cursing, and he's not taking the, names, the name of the Lord in vain or lightly. He means what he's saying. When he says, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. So what is, what's going on here with Paul? Now when you read this, I do think Paul was probably, as a man, he was angry. I mean, I think he is, based also on what he said and the tone in which it's pretty easy to pick up on the text. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure that out. He got punched in the mouth or smote in the mouth, smacked in the mouth. He probably would respond like any of us would, which would be like, okay, you know, there's a part of him that wants to come unglued and go rip into somebody, which is the natural response. But he tempers himself. He keeps himself cool. And he doesn't respond in violence, right? He doesn't hit back, at least physically, but he uses the words, the words that God gives him. And so the first point of study here is exercise temperance, right? When you are in the midst of a satanic attack, right, when you want to triumph over trouble and, and you're witnessing sincerely and all of a sudden you get punched in the mouth, well, hey, exercise temperance when faced with satanic assault. We had a, a missionary friend of ours that we all know. He's not really, he's a pastor in another, another country recently. That, you know, he was just having a church service. And the next thing you know, they surround the house and, and you know, they want to drag him out. And, you know, God only knows what would have happened. He ended up dis- escaping discreetly on a motorcycle, ran through the woods and got on the highway and took off, you know. And, but, you know, those villages are still there. And, and, the, and the Hindus that want to attack them are still there, and the pressure's still on, right? There's a, there's a tension there. You've got to handle those things with temperance. You know, it's not a Rambo movie. Put the clip in. Let's let God sort it out. And we're not Marines. If you're a Marine, Lord bless you. But in the kingdom of God, we've got a different way of, of responding, and it's by exercising temperance when faith was faced with satanic assault. When you get down to verse 4, it goes on to say, And they <clears throat> that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Like, how dare you smart back to the high priest? And then Paul 
with all sincerity, again, sincerity has not left the conversation. Then Paul, then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. So Paul's letting them know when he's speaking, he's very, he's very sober. He knows what he is saying. I'm not reviling the high priest uh, because I want to. I'm rebuking him. So we can see Paul wants to come uncorked, right, as a man would. But by God's grace, he maintains his composure and he responds instead of reacts. You guys know the difference, right? You can be filled with rage and still respond instead of reacting, right, and allowing your flesh to control you. And I'm sure many of us have been there <laughs> on more than one occasion. So, um, but he's not Jesus. This is Paul. It's in verse 67. You know, when Jesus was buffeted, the Bible says he, he opened not his mouth. But the difference here is that Paul is not our Savior either. And this wasn't a time for him to be offered up. There would be a time when he'd be offered up and he'd be ready to be offered up. But this is not a time for that. So he is there in Christ's stead. Paul knows why he's there. He's there in Christ's stead. And you tell me, class, what, if he's there in Christ's stead, what's his job? What's the verse say? We're here in Christ's stead, reconciling men unto God. Right? Paul was still on duty. He was still doing what he's supposed to do. He's like... Um, no, what I said is what I meant, and I'm, I'm sorry I had to say that. But you're, yes, the high priest is, is acting um, like a white wall. He's actually quoting the same words that Jesus quoted in, in reference to the Pharisees, of which he was one. All right? So he's making a distinction. Now, I think there's a reason Paul did this. I think it is because for those who love the law, and he quotes the law, all of a sudden, you know what? He suddenly finds a soft spot in those. They're going to immediately say, some of those Pharisees, and we'll see it in the text here in a minute, they're going to see Paul and they're going to go, that's an honorable man. That's an honorable man. He just took a shot to the mouth and he responded probably better than I would have. Because they all knew Ananias was exactly what Paul said. They knew that wasn't right. And so all of a sudden, he's probably getting a little sympathy from some of those guys because they know that if they were crossed with Ananias, the high priest, he would put them, even though they're a Pharisee, in exactly the same position and wrap them in the mouth when they did not say what he wanted them to say. We live in a time of political correctness, don't we? So today that happens a lot. You, it's not just uh, with biblical speech yet so much, but eventually it will be if it's allowed to continue. And you don't say the right words, you get censored, right? You get stopped. So how do you respond to that? Well, what people want to make you out as is some fanatical, fundamentalist, armed jihads. And so the reason I'm telling you all this is it's important. How you respond is so important. That you don't react, you respond. You don't light up social media with a bunch of emotion. You speak the truth in love doesn't mean you don't say the truth, okay? But you got to do it with tact. you got to do it with wisdom. Otherwise, you're going to just play right into the false accusations about your identity. All right. So in Acts chapter 23 and verse 3, the Bible says, And Paul said unto them, 
God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? So Paul's response is, first of all, it's a legal protest. He's actually bringing up the law. Paul, as a Pharisee, knowing many, if not all these men personally, was appalled by their disregard for the law. By the way, if you read commentaries on this, they all, everyone I read said Paul did, probably didn't know these people. I don't, I'm like, what are you talking about Paul didn't know these people? They, they're, they're quoting later on in the text, they quote Gamaliel, the same teacher that Paul quoted. Paul knew these guys. I bet many of them personally, if not all of them. He knew who Ananias was. Ananias probably knew who he was. They knew each other. That's why they were mad at him. He'd been running out for 20 years. He'd left the, the faith and caused a lot of problems for them. A lot of people were defecting to this way after this Jew named Jesus. They knew who each other were. That's why they were ready for him. He is speaking initially as a lawyer, though. A peer in the presence of his brethren. And he was obviously hot, right? Um, But he wasn't over the top. He's a man. You can probably tell. He was probably gritting his teeth a little bit. You whited wall? (laughs) You know? How dare you smite me? Contrary to the law. You know, he, he probably had a little attitude. I don't know. I wasn't there. You know what? We're not given how, how that worked out. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was as calm as a cucumber. I doubt it. Based on the way he responds pretty quickly. But nonetheless, he's speaking initially as a, as a lawyer to a peer. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it's folly and shame unto him. He hadn't even, Paul had not even, as a lawyer, had a chance to put forth his opening argument. And all of a sudden, it's out of order and he's wrapped on the mouth. He wasn't happy with that. And as I've mentioned, in Romans chapter 2, Paul has written already and sent this to Rome. Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. That was on his mind. Paul had already penned that, that, that sentence and then sent it off to Rome. And then it goes on to say, or in, that, in that context, you think about Ananias. He doesn't know it yet, but God has already judged his sin through Paul's own words, scripted and sent to Rome. It's already scripture. And, you know, for that matter, Paul nor the Romans probably understood that that was going to be in the canon of scripture. We don't at that moment, but God did. It was already written. Man, Ananias, you just stepped in it in a big way. It's Old Testament, and now it's New Testament. (laughs) You're in trouble, pal. Going back to my last point last week. And notice this about Paul. He doesn't apologize. The reason I I like his temperate response, he's exercising temperance. Um, He's not saying these words. He's not apologizing for what he said. Why? Because what he says is true. It's absolutely the truth. And he should not have apologized. It's interesting that some... People today that are Pharisees themselves, I would say, commentators in this modern era, see that Paul is out of line here. And they paint him with the brush of how the Apostle Paul is, he's just, he's just, well, he's out of line. He should have never spoke that way to the high priest. I'm like, are we reading the same Bible? Unbelievable. I think they're out of line. Because Ananias is completely out of place here. 
So the next thing we see is that Paul's response is not just, it's not just a, a protest, right? And it is a, it's a legal protest. He's saying you have violated the law. You know, it's not, it, it, he's also pointing out that this is, well, he doesn't know this. I don't know if Paul knows this or not, but God knows it. It's prophetic. Uh, Warren Wearsby wrote this about this particular subject. It says, Ananias was indeed one of the most corrupt men ever to be named a high priest. He stole tithes from other priests and did all he could to increase his authority. He was known as, as a brutal man who cared more for Rome's favor than for Israel's welfare. He's probably pretty tight with this chief captain, by the way. Who knows? In, in calling the high priest a whited wall, Paul was simply saying that he was a hypocrite. Right? According to Matthew 23, 27, Ezekiel 13, 10 through 12, Paul spoke prophetically because God did indeed smite the wicked man. When the Jews revolted against Rome in the year 66, of course in 70 AD, Titus came in and, and leveled it, Ananias had to flee for his life because of his own sympathies to Rome, and the Jew, Jewish guerrillas found him hiding in an aqueduct at Herod's palace, and they killed him. It was an ignominious, how do you say that? Ignominious death for a despicable man. Ignominious death is, uh, we don't use that word, ignominious. I struggle to even pronounce it. Anybody use that word regularly around here? Okay, you use it? Okay, ignominious. We have one scholar in the house. As long as you don't line up with those commentators, you're all right, brother. <laughs> ignominious. So that's a word that simply means uh, a dishonorable, you know, it was a dishonorable death, a publicly humiliating ending, kind of like Hitler, right? Just a dude that, you know, if you believe the reports, you know, kind of died, self-inflicted gunshot wound, just, just a loser, you know, all that for not, kind of like, you know, old, uh, what's his name, Saddam Hussein, you know, hiding in a hole somewhere and then drug up and hung in a court, you know, just kind of, it's kind of, wow. All that for that. Kind of like Satan when you read Ezekiel. When you look at this is the one that called the, nation, the, the, the nations to shake. Or seriously, this, this serpent? Yeah. Just a roaring lion. He's not really a roaring lion. He just acts like one. Wizard of Oz, man. The guy pulling the levers. <laughs> so Paul, he was being gracious to the office of Ananias as the ambassador of Christ. I believe that. I think he was being gracious. They stood by, and, and uh, what a great way of explaining what these men were doing. They were standing by uh, as justice is, is miscarried. You know, in verse 4 it says, And they that stood by. You know, when you hear the word stood by, you hear that a lot in the case of people who stood by and did nothing. Like the Holy Spirit of God is trying to tell us something there. They're all watching this conflict. There's men that are standing by willing to smite someone unjustly. And then there's men standing by not willing to say anything. Well, because Ananias is a pretty rough character, right? He's like the godfather. You don't mess with him. They're standing by. So they accuse Paul of reviling God's high priest. Paul's response cuts through the heart of, of those that love God's law and certainly endeared him to some of those Pharisees in, in verse 5. Then said Paul, I wist not brethren. And notice the word brethren. 
right? That, that, that he's still sincerely talking to his brethren. His heart's desire and prayer. I just can't get Romans 10 out of my mind. I can't get the, the, his heart's desire and prayer for my brethren, Israel. And Paul loves these guys. They're his brothers. Brothers fight, but they love each other deeply. Or they should. They should anyway. That was the, that's what Paul is saying. These are my brothers, and I'm sorry that this high priest is, is like this, for it's written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. I mean, guys, we could do better than this guy. <laughs> and so Paul's pointing out Ananias' hypocrisy, and he reveals, and I believe he reveals in the doing this, his respect for both the law of Moses and the office of the high priest. So Paul's not losing any favor among his brethren that actually honor the law of Moses, that actually care. You know, men like Nicodemus, who were obviously sincere-hearted, and were looking into Jesus himself saying, is this, who is this guy? He's a teacher come from God. Maybe he's the Messiah. Certainly this has been a miscarriage of justice. And you know, we know the story of Christ. There were men that were in the, in the Sanhedrin that actually were listening and paying attention and were sincere-hearted. And I'm sure when Paul, uh, when, when Paul brought this up, they had to, in their hearts, go, I agree with him. Ananias is a whited wall, and this guy is actually, whether he's right or wrong, he cares about the law more than our high priest. And I'm sure in, in a few hearts, he, he may have won a few hearts even then. So he reveals his respect for the law of Moses and the office of the high priest, something that only you know, a man wearing a Babylonian robe, uh, uh, robe could miss when they say that Paul was out of line. In Exodus 22, 8, uh, 22 and verse 28, I'm sorry, the Bible says, Thou shalt not revile the gods nor curse the ruler of thy people. So Paul understood uh, very clearly that these men were on borrowed time. As Jesus rent the veil of the temple from top to bottom at his death and the resurrection uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ represents the resurrection of our high priest who makes intercession before God the Father at the, you know, as he resurrected on the third day. Jesus is the high priest. He did the priestly work at the resurrection. So I want you to get this in your head too from our perspective, from Paul's perspective, who we really are today in Christ, our identity, our true identity. Paul knows something that these guys don't really reckon. That Jesus Christ is the true high priest. He's only honoring Ananias because of the law of Moses. Paul knows that Jesus Christ is the high priest. He knows the veil has been rent. He understands that, hey, Ananias, you are out of business but for the grace of God. He's already written, written Romans 9 through 11. He knows that the days are numbered for Israel and that God's going to put them on hold. He understands all these things. Paul's already written of that prophecy. That prophecy is already in our New Testament. And he understands that Ananias, your days are over. But you know what? He didn't say that. He just kept his mouth shut and he judged him by the law and just said a sentence. Very temperate. Incredible. We know what Hebrews 5 says in verse 5 as well as other places. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten me. God's made him our high priest. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, right? And we're called to pray unto him. So exercise wisdom when faced with satanic assault, right? You've got to exercise, uh, you gotta exercise some, some temperance and you've got to exercise some wisdom. We not only must exercise that temperance, but wisdom when facing satanic assault, because Paul perceives 
that he has an audience divided on the doctrine of the resurrection. And he exploits it. We see in the Gospels how disingenuous and arrogant the Sadducees were addressing Jesus in in, uh, the book of Mark, chapter 12. You might want to turn over there, Mark, chapter 12, just to kind of look at the text. Notice that Mark, chapter 12, and verse 18, the Bible says in Mark 12, 18, Then uh, come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. So what did they ask Jesus about? Well, the resurrection, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, if a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, this is an uh, Old Testament principle. It's called the law of the kinsman redeemer. So it's the same one that Ruth is actually redeemed under with Boaz. So they're asking about a legitimate Old Testament question regarding uh, marriage of a, of, a, of a brother's redeeming the seed of your brother's uh, widow which is an Old Testament context. We don't, actually, we, do, we don't do that in the New Testament. I'm not going to go there. But I will tell you this. The, the deal is family. It's a spiritual union. So, you don't, yeah, you're off the hook on the physical brother. Uh, there's some cult guys out there. That'd be a little creepy to me. But anyway, uh, and, and it's one wife only. All right. So, but, uh, but so today, that's why you should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? But you want to be yoked to somebody. We just talked about this at the marriage conference over the weekend. You want to be yoked to a believer, so you are free to marry again. Now, in the Old Testament, it was a physical kingdom of heaven context. So it was the law that, it, under the law of the kinsman redeemer, if your brother's wife, if a, if a, if your brother had a wife and was widowed, your brother passed away. The next brother was responsible uh, to raise up seed and also to take care of her and the children. And so, because there's land inheritances and all kinds of things that were a privy or a, a part of that back in the Old Testament. So they bring this up to Jesus. And it says now, verse 20, now that this is where they get cute with it in verse 20 of Mark, Mark chapter 12. You can find this in other locations in the Gospels as well. Uh, he says, now there are seven brethren. <clears throat> so they're given in a hypothetical situation. Now there, uh, and there are seven brethren, and, and the first took a wife and dying left no seed. And the second took her, second brother, and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise. And this, the seven had her and left no seed. So this is a completely hypothetical situation. One lady goes through seven brothers, right? And then so they're, what they're trying to do is trap Jesus in his, his words. Literally, the word, the Old Testament, who he is also the author of the, the Old Testament. It says, and the seven had her and left no seed, lest, all the women, lest uh, last of all the woman died also. In the resurrection, in the resurrection, in the resurrection, therefore... When they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. Now, in the text, Jesus gives them an answer, which he says, you do great error not knowing the scripture or the power of God. Uh, they don't even understand the kingdom of God. So he just, he just you know, he smites them in the mouth spiritually <laughs> for asking stupid questions. And uh, because he, Jesus knows they don't even believe in the resurrection. Jesus was not kind in his response to the Sadducees. He, he let them know they're completely ignorant of the scripture and what occurs in the kingdom of God. Because he says we're like the angels, right? We, we, don't, we don't have seed in, in heaven, in the kingdom of God. So Paul's exchange here was not in vain as he speaks with these men because he perceives, it says, uh, let's just look at the text here. It says, when Paul perceived in verse 6 that one part were Sadduce- Sadducees and the other Pharisees, 
All of a sudden, he cries out in the council, Men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. He brings it down to what is really at stake here is the resurrection. And he said in verse 7, And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say, There is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Now, it's interesting that they're asking Jesus these questions about the resurrection if they don't believe in it. They weren't asking him because they sincerely cared. They were asking him because they wanted to catch Jesus in his words, try to catch him up in a Bible study question that he could not answer. And, of course, it was they who didn't know what the Bible said about the kingdom of God. So Paul's exchange was not in vain. Some of the the sincere Pharisees answered as Gamaliel would have. As you look in the text, it says in verse Nine, it says, and there arose a great cry, and the, uh, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, for if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now, Gamaliel himself said that in chapter 5, verse 39. He says, you know what, these guys, he's talking about Peter and those guys, he says, you know what, if they're, they're causing trouble, but... The, if it's an issue of the resurrection and a man rising from the dead, and if it's of God, man, let's not, we can't fight God. If it's, a, if it's not of God, it'll go away like every other situation. But if it is of God, well, we can't fight God. That's literally what these guys are saying. We can't fight against God. They're coming from the school of Gamaliel. Interestingly enough, Paul was one of Gamaliel's top students. And I'm sure he wrestled when he, before he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was wrestling with what Gamaliel had taught him. Acts 5, verse 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed. And when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And of course they continued to speak in the name of Jesus. It's worth noting that Gamaliel said those words, but Paul, the prized pupil, he didn't quite receive them at first. But here's a practical point. We should be patient with those that God <clears throat> allows in our life that, that are contrary to us. We should be patient, patient with others because God was patient with us. You know, Paul was not initially in this gaggle of men that would say, well, let's, let's hold off. Let's see what God does. Paul was very zealous against this way, the the Lord Jesus Christ and and the resurrection, that that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul was all against that. He is the resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection. He's not just part of the resurrection. He is the resurrection. We don't resurrect without him. And Paul had to reckon with all of that. He didn't do it immediately. So you know what? You know what? He's patient. He's temperate. He's gracious. But he also gets to the point. This is about the resurrection. And then he lives in verse 10. Look, he, he's so wise here. And when he, and there arose a great dissension, and the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, and this is serious, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force among them and to bring him into the castle. That tells you how intense, you know, the, the, it, between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the only thing that united them was Paul's judgment. And as soon as Paul neutralized that and made it about the resurrection, <laughs> those guys turn on each other like piranha, man. They just start devouring each other. And Paul's in the middle, and they're yanking on him, and they're like, no, you can't take him. And they're like, no, he needs to die. 
And they're just, finally, the chief, the, now this Roman chief captain, he's like, oh, my goodness, what did I get into? These Jews, you know. And he has to go down and deliver Paul out of there, which is exactly what God wanted, because Paul had to go somewhere. And it wasn't Jerusalem. It was to Rome. But he escapes to fight um, another day. And so when you're faced with satanic assault, man, escape to fight another day if at all possible. Especially when you're standing before fools. There's times when, I just mentioned this last week, there's times when it's just, Paul doesn't get into a big theological debate why it's not appropriate to cast all those pearls before the swine. Boy, some Jews would get mad for me saying that about them, huh? But he's just not going to drop that. He's just like, you know what? I'm out. I'll let these guys attack one another, and God just extracts him out. Be wise. You know, you can get, you can go, again, you can get on, we got these forums today with technology. You can get online and waste your life arguing with people that don't even believe in the Bible. They don't believe in God. And you can waste hours and hours in, in emotional conversation and get wrapped up in stuff. And guys, it doesn't, just preach the gospel and, and, and follow Jesus and then let the people who follow Jesus follow you. Right? As you follow Christ. That's what we need to be doing. Because you can get caught up in all of this stuff and it doesn't matter. Like that old movie, it just doesn't matter. All right. So Paul's tactic worked. He, he was intentional and he exploited the division between the two sects. And, uh, and because he realized it, it was such a waste of time, he let Ananias go on and he can be the high priest because he's not really the high priest anyway. And... Uh, and take your chances with the home. He took his chances with the Romans and left that, that hung jury, that kangaroo court to the Jews. You can have it. And I believe that he thought it would have glorified God if he would have died there, but God knew it wouldn't. So God extracted him out. So, and God obviously had a plan for him in Rome. So the chief captain cannot afford to lose this freeborn Roman Jew to this Jewish council. So he, he jumps in and he takes him out and, uh, and he gets him out of that situation. So, so much for the law of Moses impressing, you know, the Gentile powers and drawing all the nations to Jerusalem. And think about this. I just think about what a reproach this is actually in the context of what God intended for the nation of Israel. God intended the Gentile world, that chief captain, that Roman, and the Roman world. They were supposed to be, if this would have went according to plan, the nation of Israel would have received their Messiah and the whole Gentile world would have come to them to see the grace of God on display. But instead, because they rejected the grace of God, they are fighting with one another. And what the Gentile world sees, this Roman chief captain, he sees, he sees their religion as a joke with a capital J. Now let me just make that analogy for you all right now. So in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, right, we celebrate the Lord's Supper as often as we do. Why? Because we have to display unity. We have to display forgiveness, even for people who betray us. Why? Because we cannot afford for the world to look at the church and see us as a joke with a capital J. There has to be unity. There has to be temperance. There has to be wisdom. There has to be sincerity. And unfortunately, a lot of times people will use the carnality, just like Israel, the, the Jews were carnal. They had wicked men even in charge. There's wicked men in pulpits in churches across our country. You know what that means? It becomes a reproach to the world around them. God forbid that would be us. Amen? 
Amen. I don't want that to be me, and I know you don't want that either. So lastly, and we'll be done. You got to sometimes when you go through a spiritual battle like this, whew, it sucks all the wind out of your sails. I mean, Paul's been up against it. He's witnessed sincerely. He's he's withstood a satanic attack and successfully got out of that situation by God's grace. But notice this verse. I'm going to leave on this. What a great way to kind of wrap this up. Verse 11 and and the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. I cannot repeat that. So, uh, so <laughs> I'm sorry. Phone's off. All right, so restore, <laughs> restore supernatural strength. Man, you, get, you, you, you need a little rest. Now, Paul, he can't go back and and hang out with the church. So you know what? The Lord meets him where he's at. There's, there's people today, uh, there's people in China, there's people in other places, brothers in Christ, that are in situations they cannot get away from. They have, they have been sincere in their witness for the Lord. They have been satanically assaulted. They have done everything right, and they find themselves incarcerated somewhere uh, in a situation they cannot escape from. But you know what's so awesome about that? If you ever find yourself in that situation... Just like Dale found himself in a situation he couldn't get out of the other day. You know what God does? Oftentimes, he just meets you where you're at. He just meets you right there where you're at. Isn't that awesome? That's God's so good. And he restores your supernatural strength. You need supernatural strength when you're in a supernatural mission. This isn't some sort of natural thing. You know, I just need a little joke, a little levity, a little laughter. Well, sometimes that isn't even enough. You need a little Jesus or a lot of Jesus. And so the night following, it seems it's always at night when, when the troubles come. Man, have maybe lost some sleep over some problems. I've lost lots of sleep over some problems. But you know what? That's always where the Lord meets me. The devil shows up there too, by the way. I won't get into it. I think the Lord would have me not. But I'll tell you this. The Comforter, the Holy Ghost, man, he'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. Certainly, Paul had been in prayer, and now the Lord is answering in a very tangible way. Well, why is it the next night? Because I think Paul was probably in prayer the first day. Oh, Lord, help. You know, what in the world? What are we doing? How's this going to work out? And then we see the response of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, the Lord stood by him. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said... And, and by the way, he had already started to share a testimony when Jesus stood by him in Jerusalem another time. What did Jesus tell him the first time in Jerusalem when he stood by him? What's that? Yeah, but he also told him, get out of here and go see the Gentiles. We saw that in, the pre, in chapter 21. Hey, Paul, get out of Jerusalem. You don't even need to be here. I'm done with these guys. But Paul's not, God's not mad at Paul. And he meets him there in Jerusalem again. He says, Paul, hey, Paul, that's okay. Be of, good, be of good cheer. Cheer up, Paul. Obviously, he wasn't of good cheer. He wouldn't have said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, Paul. It's okay. It's okay. Be of good cheer. Because I've got work for you to do, Paul. It, it's not going to necessarily be what you may have wanted here, but it's somewhere else. Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness of me at Rome. So Paul records the Lord appearing to him in chapter 22, 17 through 21, directing him out of Jerusalem 
And now, Paul, and now the Lord shows back up and kind of puts his arm around Paul and says, Hey, Paul, guess what? Man, I appreciate your heart for your brethren. He doesn't smack him around, doesn't smote him in the mouth or nothing. And he says, but guess what? We're going to get, we got to get you moving to Rome because this is where I'm going. And he just cheer up, cheer up, Paul. My hand's on you. You know, sometimes when you're in trouble and you've been assaulted, uh, you just need to know God's good hands upon you. You just need to know that God's still with you. Because the devil's going to try to condemn you. The devil's going to try to beat you down. The devil's going to try to make you feel like, man, you are worthless. You're no good. You, you are a failure. And it's all that the devil's just preaching to you. But you can't be a failure because in Christ, you're already a conqueror. So you got to decide, am I going to walk by faith or walk by sight? Walk by faith, brethren. Walk by faith. The Lord stood with him. Now, this doesn't happen to us physically necessarily where the, where the Lord uh, shows up physically, you know, and says, here I am. He does, though, and by the way, of certain people at certain times, God will send somebody a key word, a key moment, a key encouragement. Man, I, and I'll just be frank with you. In, in recent years, I've, I've had that happen. I mean, I've just needed an encouragement, and, and then God has just brought the right thing at the right time to the right people. And some of you are sitting in the room where God brings those encouragements. Right? And so, man, we need that encouragement. The Word of God, of course, I don't want to neglect the Word of God. The Word of God is obviously where we find our encouragement. But sometimes God will bring a tangible person along just to encourage you. Your wife, my wife is so encouraging to me. She really is. She's so steady and awesome. Um, She's a good woman. And so, uh, I tell you what, I'm just, I don't want to get too personal, but I I just want you guys to know, that when you go through difficult times and you're up against it, and you really are sat- you're in a satanic battle. Remember, there's a much bigger deal going on. You never wrestle flesh and blood. When I was a young pastor, God showed me that. Brian, you don't wrestle flesh and blood. Because the same sister, the same brother that's blessing you one day is cursing you the next. Don't take it personal. Why? Because they're people. And, and God works through them, and so does the devil. Right? And so we don't wrestle flesh and blood. He does the same thing with me. So I'm just saying Right? I said, I've said things to my wife that hurt her. Why would I do that? Because I'm in my flesh. Right? That's not right, or vice versa. But I love her, and she loves me. Right? Because we know that Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't really do that very often. But uh, my point is, you get what I'm saying. It's fresh on my mind from the marriage conference. So there's times when the intensity of battle requires Jesus to come to your corner. And this is really what I'm... I, when I see this with Paul, and forgive me especially if you're not into combat sports, but I like them. I think they're of God. And so uh, <laughs> God's a God of combat, and I'm a male, okay? Just give me some liberty here. But I can just, I see Randy, man. There's days where Randy, man, he needs Jesus to get in his corner and say, I know you got a headache, son. I know this is going on, but get up, and we're going to go. And my, I don't want to pick on you, Randy, but I know he's got to have days like that. I know when you're going through trouble and you're in a situation, man, you need someone in your corner, and someone's great, but it's really good when it's Jesus. Amen. You know, and you're sitting on the bench, and in the, I think about a guy in a combat situation in a boxing match. He's sitting there, and he's bloody, and he's, he's like, man, I don't know if I can go again. And you know what that corner man does? He gets him up, and he gets him going. You know what the corner man also does? He knows when to throw in the towel. And as a Christian, you just got to know, listen, when your corner man tells you, and it's Jesus, to get up and keep going, you get up and you keep going. If it gets to the point where he wants you out, he'll throw in the towel. But you never take yourself out of the battle. 
You stay in until Jesus takes you out. And so there are times when that intensity is just that intense. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.16, at my first answer, I love this when I think about the context of Acts 23, he says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it might not be laid to their charge. You know, Paul would find himself in Rome, and he would find himself before literally someone a lot worse than Ananias. He'd eventually find himself before Nero, a type of Antichrist, an Antichrist of the day, standing there toe-to-toe with Satan's representative on earth. You know what? There ain't a man around that's going to stand with him in that battle. You go on and fight Goliath. I'm just going to stay back. But you know what he says? The Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. You know, he's not just standing with him in the corner. He goes with you into battle. And that's what we got to remember. This would not be the last time that Paul would need encouragement. He needed encouragement at that time in, in Rome as well. So wrestling, you know, when I used to wrestle in high school. You know, I learned something about wrestling. One of the, the hardest things about wrestling is when you're out there, it's just you. You cannot blame it on your teammate. He didn't miss this block. It's just you. And men and women, when we're in a spiritual war, I, it, sometimes it seems lonely, doesn't it? Because I really, as much as I want to empathize with you, I, sometimes I haven't been through what you're, I haven't been ran out of a village and had to get a motorbike to get away from persecution. I, man, I don't know what that's really like, but I, I'm sympathetic. But sometimes when you're going through stuff, man, it's always helpful when you can find people that have also traveled that same road. But I want you to know, when you feel all alone, you feel like nobody understands, when you're out there knowing you don't know what to do next, man, the Lord understands. He don't only, he's not just some high priest that's somewhere else. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 that that's when you need to go to him. And he's not only hearing your prayer, he knows what's going on, and you, he will be in the midst, standing with you. And he will re-energize you. So much so that you'll want to get up and tell everybody, man, I had a heart attack last week, but now I'm back. Man, I had a bad situation last week, but man, I'm here. And God does those things. And some, some of us, you know what? It may look like, man, <laughs> it doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to be resurrected. I probably am not going to make it to 120 years old if the Lord tarries. But I tell you what, I'm going to be rejoicing when you see me in heaven. Because I'm going to be telling you about how Jesus Christ saved my soul and how I got resurrected. There's just no losing, beloved. When We triumph over trouble. So stand up like you're a victor right now. Let's pray and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for victory in Christ. I pray everyone under the sound of my voice understands today that they are triumphant. 